Yeah, what's up, dogs? Big Mark D was up. My little brain I just got on was up. Let's check it out.
Oh yeah, what's us, Big Mac D, hanging out with a dog. What's up, dog? You guys grooving on the groove? You guys all up in the groove? I guys jiggling and wiggling? Got your anxiety going on, I know. It's alright. It's good. You know, I'm up all night anyway. That's how I roll. Sleep all day like a vampire. Uh, 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 uh. Yeah, that's how it does. Check it out. Shake your seats and legs around It will up your town Signs of light to stop the flickering Need a better lay my body down Then with the carry down Some static is lulling me to sleep And your clothes on a chain link fence And your gut say I'm real My mouth is full of worthless hymns And bones and dances Five years since lawmakers passed comprehensive internet regulations but the internet has changed a lot since then and it's time for an update that's why facebook supports updated internet regulations to set clear guidelines for addressing today's toughest challenges like protecting privacy fighting misinformation reforming section 230 and more see our progress on key issues and what's next at about.fb.com regulations It's your Sandman here. Why search around for a way to get rid of...
designed to be epic in every way. Introducing the Galaxy S21 5G from Samsung. Experience hyper-fast processing and the highest resolution video you can get on a phone, all wrapped up in a sleek new design that's bound to turn some heads. Here's even better news. Right now, you can get a Samsung Galaxy S21 5G free with 24-month bill credits and eligible trade-in. To get your free Samsung Galaxy S21 5G, stop by a T-Mobile store today. Terms and worked so far but we're not out yet i want to know what you're thinking there are some things you can't hide i want to know what you're feeling tell me what's on your mind
transactions coming to an end? It may seem that everyone is selling the main cryptocurrency, but this is not the case. The trend towards long-term storage of bitcoins continues to dominate. The market supply of coins fell to a three-month slow. More than half of the cryptocurrency is now stored in wallets that have been accumulating funds since January 2018. Experts also support the opinion of bitcoin holders. Trader Peter Brandt predicted the rise of the coin to $200,000 comparing the situation with the growth of 2017. According to him, the market is currently in a pause before the final stage of growth begins. I wonder if anyone predicts higher rates. Bloomberg strategist Mike McGlone has the same position but expects the price to hit $400,000 in 2021. Maybe we shall announce a new guessing game with a big price? Please write in comments if you want us to launch such a game. While some are mining bitcoins using Ecos Cloud Mining and others are trying to find equipment for home mining, a YouTube blogger turned the Nintendo Game Boy into a bitcoin miner. The game console produces 0.8 terahash per second. At this rate, mining a single bitcoin will take several quadrillion years. For comparison, each Ampminer S19 Pro used in the Ecos data center produces about 100 terahash. That's 125 trillion more. Download Ecos application and invest in bitcoin without having to look for hardware and write in comments what you think about the game that we suggested. Thanks for watching and see you next time. Write in comments if you want us to launch such a game. While some are mining bitcoins using Ecos Cloud Mining and others are trying to find equipment for home mining, a YouTube blogger turned the Nintendo Game Boy into a bitcoin miner. The game console produces 0.8 terahash per second. At this rate, mining a single bitcoin will take several quadrillion years. For comparison, each Ampminer S19 Pro used in the Ecos data center produces about 100 terahash. That's 125 trillion more. Download Ecos application and invest in bitcoin without having to look for hardware and write in comments what you think about the game that we suggested. Thanks for watching and see you next time. I would say uh, this is uh, sort of an unusual event. It's funny, we're all spread all over the world in different rooms, everybody's locked up. Um, but for me, this is how I've always lived. Uh, you know, so much of my life, as I think is, is increasingly the case for, for you, wherever you are, is intermediated by these screens. Um, we spend less time outside and more and more time uh, staring into glass or, or through glass uh, to connect with that larger world, with something beyond ourselves. And so that's why it's uh, particularly important, I think, as we see the world happening through these screens and increasingly it feels like something distinct from us, something apart from us, something that we are witnessing rather than participating in. Um, that you look at it, I, I want you to think about the world uh, as you see it now and what you see happening in it and ask yourself, is this your will? Is this what you want? Did you agree to this? Uh, is this consistent with the vision uh, of the future that you want to see? Um, it's interesting to me that uh, we seem to be living in this moment uh, that feels much closer to what I think is the standard of history uh, rather than our ideal of modernity in that uh, the institutional powers of our day, you know, um, 
when when you think about the structures that actually affect the world, organized uh, groups of people uh, who have assumed for themselves some mandate, whether it's to conduct business, whether it's to uh, govern the the lives of others, whether it's to to make war. Um, these institutional powers, they, they don't seem to particularly care uh, about your answer to that question. Uh, is this what you wanted? Is this okay? Did you agree to it? And I think when we look at those institutions and their responses to that uh, question, uh, or, or rather ask for their, their feelings about our answer to that question, uh, it's informative because legislators would say that it doesn't matter. Uh, they control the law. Police would say that you don't have a choice um, as to whether or not you agree to this uh, because they have the gun, they have the baton. Uh, and Facebook would say, uh, you know, click OK to continue. And if you don't, you can't do anything because they control the policy. And through the policy, they control the platform. And through the platform, they control the public. They control all of us and aggregate our lives, or at least exercise some great level of influence over it by gating us off, separating us from the things that we need to do to connect and engage in just what is considered today a normal life. And so there is this presumption uh, amongst all of them that merely by existing, uh, merely by, you know, click OK to continue, merely by continuing, um, they say that you agreed to this. But I don't think that you did, and I bet you don't think so either. The reality is these institutions, all of them, they pretend that we consent to their actions. They pretend that we agree because of where we were born. Uh, or where we have no choice but to live uh, or uh, lead a life um, to which we have no alternative because of uh, economic insecurity uh, or political barriers or barriers to movement. Um, and I, I think it can be something as simple as, you know, you opened a website, you turned on your phone. Uh, all of these things today have consequences uh, which we are not informed about, even if you read the 600 pages of legalese, um, because one of the very first terms in these terms of use that are applied to our lives uh, is that these terms can change at any time. A statement that's as true for government as it is for corporations. And it's time that we recognize these are forced choices. Um, if we don't have an alternative but to click OK, if there's no other option uh, but to say no thanks, you know, I would rather have my privacy, no thanks, but I would rather not have you collect this data, no thanks, but I would rather not have you apply violence uh, to minorities, uh, to people who are unlike me, or even to people who are like me. Um, I would like to be treated fairly. I would like to see a more equitable world. I would like to see a better world, and I would like to make that happen. I would like to see uh, politicians who are uh, reasonable rather than extremists. I would like to see uh, police that are worried about uh, public safety uh, rather than state security. Um, and I think the fact that so many of our interactions in modern life, so many of the activities that we have to engage in are um, intermediated as our lives are by this glass. Uh, they are separated from us uh, by this gate of a forced choice 
we need to recognize that that is not consent, and the law needs to recognize that that is not consent. The companies need to recognize that is not consent, and the only way that that happens is if we recognize that that is not consent, not in any way that really matters. Um, and I think that is what's happening today. I think that's what we see around the world. I think that's, uh, for a large part, what is responsible for the rising tide of anger that we feel in so many ways. People don't feel a sense of uh, agency. Uh, they recognize that things in the world are not going in the right direction, uh, and they don't agree with it, and they do care about it, despite what people say to the contrary. Um, but they don't feel that they have the ability to change it. Um, and that's, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about consent. Uh, we need to realize that that lack of consent matters. We need to realize that we matter. Um, and the only way that this changes, right, because what we're seeing is we're seeing a divorce between the individual and the institutional in terms of power and accountability. Uh, we have the institutions that wield the greatest influence over society, whether we're talking about presidents, you know, whether we're talking about um, people in Hungary, whether we're talking about people in Brazil, whether we're talking about people in Russia or China, you know, new presidents for life. Um, we need to recognize that there seems to be nothing they can do um, that results in them facing a serious consequence. Whereas the smallest infractions of our lives, that can even be civil rather than criminal, are instantly crystallized and memorialized at the moment of mistake and captured into a permanent record that's held and controlled by these groups. Again, whether they are uh, commercial or whether they are governmental, and we have no influence to change them. But that's what we need. We need things to change. And, you know, so many people are, are asking for change. You know, they're, they're basically complaining. They're writing articles. They're going, Facebook, you need to do this. They're going, government, you know, please do this for us. Um, but the sad truth of history, when you look, um, they are actually better than the problems we had in, in the past, as hard as it is to say. The world is getting better. Uh, but we are at a moment of regression. And the only way we make things get better again is through struggle and sacrifice because change is never something that is, is granted. Concessions are not uh, given to us by power. Our rights are not gifts. Uh, they are prizes that are won. Um, and that won't happen without you. That won't happen simply because you believe in something. That won't happen simply because you care about something. That will only happen when you stand for something. It's not enough to believe in something. It's not enough to say all the right things. It's not enough to just put out a tweet out there. If you want things to change, you have to make things change. And that change begins with you. It's a small thing. It's one conversation at a time. It's not looking away. Uh, it's not walking past someone who does the wrong thing. It's saying that you don't agree. Uh, it's trying to change the outcome, even in small ways, uh, but recognizing that you have power. I don't care how small you are. I don't care how isolated you are. I don't care how little uh, you are. To the people near you, to the world around you, uh, in your workplace, in your community, in your country, uh, in your own personal uh, space, you can make a difference. Uh, but the only time you make a difference is when you actively 
make that difference, when you make a choice uh, to change things. Uh, again, like, like we said at the beginning of this talk, look around the world, look around what's happening. Everyone says, this is okay by you. Everyone says, you know, you agree with this. The world is asking you uh, right now, history is asking you right now, um, click okay to continue. And for me, I'm done clicking. whistleblower Edward Snowden, who's just published his memoir, Permanent Record. Juan Gonzalez and I spoke to him last week and asked him to describe how he arrived in Moscow, where he now lives. Ultimately, it's a question of, as the U.S. government uh, continues to apply pressure, um, where do you go? Uh, the Chinese government is probably unlikely uh, to intervene. They don't want any part of this. The Hong Kong government, as we just described, is not exactly a beacon of human rights itself. Uh, and their courts are, are unlikely to adjudicate the process fairly in the face of historic U.S. pressure. So you have to look at what country uh, will be able to protect someone who's standing on principle. And this... This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The Quarantine Report. I'm Amy Goodman with Juan Gonzalez. 
In California, over 60 unaccompanied migrant children being held at the San Diego Convention Center have tested positive for COVID-19. The Convention Center is currently holding over 700 children, according to local media. Meanwhile, the Wall Street Journal is reporting Border Patrol facilities across the Texas-Mexico border are so overcrowded that border agents recently started holding hundreds of refugees under a bridge near McAllen where they're forced to sleep on the dirt. Border agents have also been dropping off hundreds of them at bus stations and even hotels. This comes as a record number of asylum seekers are arriving at the southern border, fleeing extreme poverty, violence, and climate change in their home countries. Almost 18,000 unaccompanied. See, this is what I don't understand. This is what I don't understand, ladies and gentlemen, and all you in-between folk. You know what I mean? It's cool. You know, I get I get a Rocky Horror Picture Show every now and then, too, you know. So it's cool. You know, I'm down. I'm down. I dress in drag. I've been to the fucking Rocky Horror Picture Show midnight show. You know what I'm saying? Have you been there? Shit. I'm a hosco. Meanwhile, you know. I even be singing that Rocky Horror, you know what I'm saying? But meanwhile, we, you know, I ain't, I ain't talking about that. But, you know, we got all these people coming to our country and the country's trying to get ruined and shit. Like somebody's trying to ruin the country. All these people come out here, you know, to get away from all their corrupt government land, you know. And I'm cool with that. I'm cool, 100, you know. I was born and raised. My family was born and raised here, you know, you know, you know, on this soil. But, you know, I understand. Because I've talked to plenty of people who have been refugees. And, oh, man, it's scary. It's sad, man. Tell me all kinds of shit, you know. Especially when they're Christian. Bunch of scumbags out there. Just trying to harm simple, chill people. Like, like you somebody. Like, damn. That's why I wish we had those space pods for all y'all criminals. That chop people up and hurt people. Terrorize and all that. We shoot you out to space. Yeehaw, there you go, buddy. Whoa, bye bye. Goodbye, motherfucker. We don't need your ass. We got enough fucking humanity as it is. Don't need that corrupt cheese inside our our bagel, you know what I mean? But meanwhile, we gotta get back into the jammy jammy of what we were just listening to. I just thought I'd interrupt for a moment because, uh, Big Mike left. He he bailed. He bailed. It's cool. It's like 3.50 a.m. on our dial right now as I record this live session. 88.3 FM. Los Angeles, California, Hollywood, Santa Monica. So ha ha ha. Been his feet, bitches. Yeah, Hollywood, Beverly Hills, oh, East LA, Central, South Central, Otters, Otters, brothers, North Hollywood, South Hollywood, East Hollywood, West Hollywood, what's up, we ho, no ho, so ho, e ho, you know, you know, all those hoes out there that, that live in the hoe, they all know. But meanwhile, or or if you guys live in the Oak Town, Oaklandish, oh dang, what's up, Oak Town? 
miss you guys. Damn. Damn, I miss I miss Alameda Island. That's what I really miss. All chill. Except I met this one douchebag that said he was from Chicago. He was a douche. He was a fucking douche. We were doing an art contest, me and him and two others, and he was being a fucking dick. Like, he was all, like, wanted to fight and shit. Like, damn, dude, shut the fuck up. I'm trying to beat that ass over here with my art. <coughs> <coughs> I wonder if that gallery is still there. That'd be badass. I better go look that up. Huh. Yeah, I'll go do that. But meanwhile, we're going to have you listen to some tunies. Actually, we're going to go back to that YouTube video that we were just on. Let's do it. Migrant children are now in U.S. custody. Some 5,800 are in customs and border protection facilities, uh, which are more like jails, not equipped to jail to care for children. Tomorrow, the White House will be hosting a bipartisan congressional briefing on the border with Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas and Health and Human Services Secretary Javier Becerra in attendance. During President Biden's first news conference last week, he faced another number of questions about how his administration is handling the growing number of unaccompanied kids arriving at the southern border. Uh, he said the majority of asylum seekers are still, though, being turned away. If you take a look at the number of people who are coming, the vast majority, the overwhelming majority of people coming to the border and crossing are being sent back, are being sent back. And a warning to our audience, this includes a graphic description of police violence. Um, this coming as protests have erupted in Mexico over the police killing of Victoria Salazar, a 36-year-old Salvadoran woman and mother of two who've been living in Mexico with a humanitarian visa. Four police officers from the coastal city of Tulum have been charged with femicide after an autopsy concluded that her neck had been broken while in custody. Videos published by Mexican media show one of the four officers who arrested Salazar kneeling on her back, pinning her against the pavement as she cries out. She lays on the pavement face down, handcuffed unconscious, while three other cops looked on before they eventually pick her up motionless, um, her body, and put her in the back of a police car before driving away. This is Salazar's mother, Rosabella Ariaza, speaking from El Salvador. I feel indignation. I feel so powerless and angry. Justice for my daughter. Victoria Salazar had reportedly lived in Mexico since at least 2018 when she was granted refugee status. Well, to look at how decades of U.S. intervention in Central America has contributed to this humanitarian crisis, we're joined in San Antonio, Texas, by the award-winning Salvadoran-American journalist Roberto Lovato, author of Unforgetting, a memoir of family, migration, gangs, and revolution in the Americas, in which he recounts his own family's migration from El Salvador to the United United States. Uh, we welcome you, Roberto, to Democracy Now! Um, talk about what we are seeing on the border. That's what you're investigating down on the border between Texas and Mexico. The horrendous story of, um, of, uh, of Victoria Salazar and what this is emblematic of. What Victoria, first of all, I'm happy to be with you again, Amy. It's been so many decades I've been on your show talking about some form of crisis in El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, and, and in the Central American region. 
we've been here before. It's just there's different actors, different conditions, for example, like climate change. And so when you're looking at the murder of Victoria Salazar at the hands of Mexican police uh, uh, who asphyxiated her, not unlike the way George Floyd was asphyxiated. When you hear the mother say, indignacion, the indignity of the killing of this mother and two, um, you have a symbol along with the cages that, you know, just uh, in Donna, Texas, here in Texas, you, you have uh, Biden making a major change in migration policy, which is going from iron cages to plexiglass cages that were discovered. And so between the plexiglass cages, which are expecting you to just not see them as cages, and the murder of Victoria Salazar, you have the ongoing epidemic of U.S. policy uh, and the crisis that is not of migration as much as it's the crisis of capitalism backed by the kind of militarism and militarized policing that you see not just in the United States, but in Mexico, Guatemala, El Salvador, Honduras, on and on. Uh, Roberto, I wanted to ask you, with this latest uh, incident of the death of Victoria Salazar, there was, uh, it must be said uh, to the credit of Mexico that the officers were immediately arrested, obviously because of the video went viral, uh, unlike what happened with George Floyd, that it took weeks and weeks uh, before there were even indictments uh, of the officers. And President Lopez Obrador did immediately condemn uh, the uh, as, br as brutality what he saw uh, of this video. But... Can you talk about this uh, this contradiction of a leftist leader in Mexico, supposedly, his government and his police participating in this constant crackdown uh, on migrants coming from Central America, uh, basically at the behest of either the Trump administration or now the Biden administration? Yeah, I would credit... Lopez Obrador, very little for his announcements because there's been plenty of other Central Americans murdered, many other mothers, children murdered by Mexican police and military forces and persecuted and hunted down like dogs. So as a you know former uh, participant in the war in El Salvador and as a leftist, I'm not sure I would even apply that to Lopez Obrador at this point. That said, um, you also have to look at the geopolitics behind uh, Victoria Salazar that are happening right now. Just yesterday in the Washington Post, you can read about a negotiation that the Biden administration and the Lopez Obrador administration had, which was uh, Biden giving the Mexican government uh, something like 1.5 million doses of um, uh, coronavirus uh, vaccine in exchange, basically, for harder enforcement than what we're already seeing, as if the murder of Victoria Salazar doesn't tell us that things are going wrong in Mexico as well. So um, there's a big geopolitical game being played here. And the way the debate is being shaped, we're kind of put in the position as an audience to see just, you know, are we going to be like Trump or not like Trump? Are we are good, re good Democrat, bad Republican when, in fact, it's a, it's a deeper history of U.S. policy that's founded on a, a foundation of cruelty, devalued life, and amnesia. As I say in my book, Unforgetting, 
um, the border is the ultimate machete of memory. It, it cuts up our memory so that we forget 30 years of genocide, mass murder, uh, U.S.-sponsored militarism and policing, failed economic policies, neoliberal policies, backed by the IMF, the World Bank. I mean, we've been here before, Juan and Amy. I mean, these are all familiar terms. The new animal and the new beast in the room is climate change. That is intensifying things. And we're not even talking about people as climate refugees, which is what we should be doing. And in terms of this issue of uh, climate refugees, could you remind the folks who tend to forget even what happened five or 10 years ago or this past summer, uh, the impact of climate change on uh, Central America? I mean, you're talking when you're talking there, uh, climate science, climate and other sciences talk about Central America as a dry quarter. There's the, the quarter from Mexico all the way to Panama being uh, the driest rapidly drying region in the Americas, a region that's been characterized by massive flooding, drying up of lakes so that the, the people that are migrating, some are fishermen or fisherwomen who can no longer fish or uh, crop cycles that are destroyed by drought. So you have, you know, people that lived off the land now having to leave their land to go to the cities in their countries, not finding work and then coming north. Or, you know, look at the fact that Something like 54 to 67% of the population. All right, we got to go. Talk to you in a bit.